if you're here this morning, I just want to say it's no accident. It's no accident. It's no even little part of this thing that just happened today. God has something for you, and today he's going to speak to you. And um, I just think that's amazing. And I'm, oh, man, I'm having a hard time moving from this moment. Um, you know, this morning, just move and calm our hearts. God, fix our eyes. God, make us receptive to you. God, let us hear your spirit, whether it's a whisper or a shout today. God, crush the plans of the enemy today. God, that we can all hear and we can all receive and we can all know and we can all... Come, God, this morning we thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Um, good morning. Good morning. That was significantly better, thank you. Um, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, and we're just going to continue to talk about um, just this amazing chapter. I think uh, it's been three weeks now of just Isaiah 6, right? Yeah. So weird all that in in one chapter we've been digging deep into this and just I think it's such a beautiful thing that God does in this chapter um I think one of the most amazing things to me in here is in this moment Isaiah is walking into the temple probably in maybe the worst days of his life this is the moment in the year that King Uzziah died. This king had just died, a king who had reigned for 52 years. That's an incredible period of time for one person to control kind of this area. If you've ever read First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, most of the guys don't make it that long. Uh, but here Uzziah had been king for 52 years, probably the only king Isaiah maybe had even ever known. He was a good king, the Bible says. He tried to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. I think it's like Second Kings 19 or something thereabouts. You can Google it later. But he tried to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And because of that, God blessed him. And one of the things he blessed him with was a long life, right? 52 years. But some more things he blessed him with were um, prosperity. Israel was a prosperous nation at this time. And another thing was peace. There weren't like invaders coming in and, and taking over territory and taking over the house and things like that. In this moment, this was a time that was good to be in the land of Israel. A time that God had shown kind of enormous blessing on these people. And now Uzziah had died and that seemed to be maybe over. Right? It's kind of a time of uncertainty. What's going on? Well, what's going on? The king, this guy who'd reigned for 52 years, is now dead. And we don't know what the next guy's going to be like. We don't know what's going to happen here. And in that moment, you kind of start to worry, right? Fear creeps in. Maybe, maybe doubt creeps in. You, you start to think, oh, man, maybe it won't be like this forever. Maybe, maybe this next guy won't lead us to follow God like Uzziah had. Or, or maybe this next guy, he won't. He won't be a prosperous king, and we're going to have to worry about what we're going to eat, and we've not had to do that. We're going to have to worry about our safety. The Assyrians are building up. They're getting stronger, and they may come in, and we're going to have to worry about that. And it was, it was a scary time to live in Israel. And here, um, Isaiah walks into the temple, probably walking in like he's walked in time after time after time, thinking it's going to be pretty much the same. It's going to be just kind of walking in, I'm going to pray, I'm going to maybe hear a song or two, I'm going to hear a message maybe, and then, uh, then I'm getting out of there. Wouldn't it be great if God showed up? And in this moment of his greatest need, God shows up in the greatest way. 
Man, I think that's amazing. Still possible today, still true today. If today's like your moment of the greatest need, I'm just gonna say God could show up today in a way that he's never showed up before. And it says that he walked into the temple and he saw the Lord. Not like uh, I spiritually saw the Lord or I had like a maybe encounter with the Lord, but physically he laid eyes on the King of Kings. That's a pretty amazing moment. And when he saw the Lord, he saw some things about the Lord. And one of the things that he saw was that the Lord was seated on a high and lofty throne, right? Not, not just like a moderately high throne or like a kind of high throne or a above average high throne, but like a high and lofty throne, an imposingly high throne is what that means, like a throne that is a little bit scary high, kind of. It's amazing, I'm walking in, I'm, who's the, oh man, I don't know how this new king's gonna be, Uzziah's dead, and then God first thing off the bat reminds him, well, Uzziah was maybe the king, but there's a king that's above all those other kings, and maybe Uzziah has vacated the throne, but I just want you to know, I'm still exactly where I used to be. Above all the other thrones, above all the other things, above everything else, if you'll just look past all those thrones, there's a throne, right? That's imposingly high, like a little bit scary high throne, a throne that's so much higher than all the other thrones. And that's what God shows him first thing in to the temple. And it shows him some other things, says the train of his robe fills the temple. And really what it's saying is the hem of the train of his robe fills the temple. This is a picture of the victories of God. In, in this time, the, the kings would have a robe, and on the back of that robe, they'd have that long train, like it would be on a wedding dress. You've seen them before, like where the bride comes down the aisle, and the train's coming, and they get here, and the train's still coming. That thing, so somebody has to pick it up and carry it up here. That, it's the image, this, this train of the robe of God. But in this time, kings would have these long trains, and when they'd go out to battle against other kings, if they won the battle, they would go to the other king, and they would cut the hem of the train of their robe off. They would cut some of that robe off, and they would have it sewn on their robe. So the longer the robe was and the more patches it had in it, the more victories that king had won, the more battles that king had won. And it says that the, the temple was filled with just the hem of the train of his robe. Like the victories of God couldn't even fit in the temple. The temple was inadequate to display the victories of God. Oh, I'm so worried. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to be. And God's like, first of all, you've got it all messed up. Uzziah was on a throne, but he wasn't on the throne. Like, I'm on the throne, still here, by the way. And if you'll just look around, you don't have much to worry about because A, pretty big. B, I have a lot of victories, like more victories than are going to fit in here. So if you'll just look around at just kind of like some that I've picked out today for you, there's a lot of them in here. Pretty amazing thing that God's doing in this moment. What did I need? I needed assurance. I needed safety. I needed, I needed to know that like it was going to be okay. And God's like, okay, I'll show you. It's going to be okay. And it's always been okay because I've never left the throne. I'm still here and I've never been defeated. Still got that covered. And it says that in that moment, God kind of ushered him into a place of heavenly worship. He saw some seraphim or some burning ones, these big kind of buff looking shiny angels. Seraphim were standing above him. One ha- and they had six wings. That's a lot of wings, by the way. With two, he covered his face. He didn't feel like he was worthy to look at God. And with two, he covered his feet because he was submitting to God. Or it's a sign of submittance. And with two, he flew because, you know, he had to be up there. And it says that they, they called out to one another. However many of these guys there are. I'm thinking two because one another. There might have been thousands. It just works that way for me. Um, and they called out this thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth, or the whole earth is full of his glory. 
So he, he comes into the temple, he sees God already kind of in all. That would be enough for me today, right? I'll just walk in, oh my gosh, here he is. Probably been a little bit scared. And then he sees him on a throne that's above every other throne. If that wasn't enough, he's surrounded by the victories. And in that moment, he ushers him into the, not the temple on earth, but like the heavenly temple, right? And he gets to see there's these angels that are flying around all day long. They're still doing it today, actually. In Revelation, it talks about them still singing this exact same song. And, and they're shouting out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I just want you to get this. These angels are not sitting there like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Although that would be reverent and pretty, that's not what's going on here because it says right after that that at the sound of their voices, the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Even the doorway, the foundations of the doorways of the temple were shaking at the sound of this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is a picture, right, of heavenly worship. Heavenly worship is not some meek little thing where they're like, I just, I don't, I don't raise my hand. That's not what I do. I just, that's not me. I'm just not that. That's not my personality. Or I just, I'm not really a singer. I don't have a good voice. I just, I can't say it. Or any of that stuff, right? Heavenly worship is this shout towards God that, that even the foundations of the door shake. It, it's, it's a rowdy experience, I believe, to be in heaven. So if you're like, I don't really like that, or I don't, maybe you don't want to go there. Uh, but that's what it's like if you look at it, because that's, that's the deal in heaven, right? At the sound of this song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The foundations of the very doorways uh, shake. It's loud and it's rowdy, a little bit crazy. But let me just let you in on why. Because nobody in heaven is confused about the one they are worshiping. It's not about in heaven my personality type, right? because I can see him. All that goes out the window. It's not about my voice, because I can see him. All that goes out the window. It's not about any of my talents or abilities or thing. It's always about him in heaven. That's why heaven is a rowdy place. That's why it's a little bit crazy. That's why it's like, I'm going to really like this crown, but I'm going to throw it at his feet. It's not, do I want to or should I? It's, I see who he is, and I have to respond to who he is. And that's the moment that Isaiah is ushered into. And at this moment, he is in awe of God. It's not like, ah, he's pretty cool. Jesus is my home dog. You know, that's not the picture here. He's like, oh my gosh, I see him, and, and I've seen him like I've never seen him before. I've heard story about God, right? I've heard he's great, and I've heard that he's loving, and I've heard he's holy. I even heard it in a song a minute ago, but now I'm not just hearing it. I'm experiencing it. I'm seeing it. There's a difference, right? A lot of us have heard story about how amazing God is, but we've never experienced it. We've never seen it, or maybe it's just been so long we don't remember it, right? Like 400 years ago, we said some prayer, and it was the most amazing thing. We remember that feeling, but we don't want anything to get close to that feeling again. I don't, that was scary. That was crazy. That was, that was a one-time thing. Thank the Lord for it. I don't want to feel that again. I want to feel that every single day, actually. I want to feel like I'm in the presence of God every single day. And in heaven, they are. And that's why it's such a crazy place. And he is in awe of God in this moment. But then attention kind of turns away from that. He hears this song, holy, holy, holy. He's great. He's loving. He's amazing. He's mighty. He's strongest. He's, he's all those things that you'll never be. And then in that moment when he sees God clearly, what he also sees very clearly is who he is. So he says, woe is me. Like a minute ago, we were very, woe is he. He's amazing. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And now we've turned to, woe is me. Translation, I'm not. 
And he says, for I am ruined. Some of your Bibles say undone. What it really means is I'm dead. Just cross that out. I'm dead. I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm in trouble because I'm here. Because when I see him, he's not just kind of God a little bit better than me. He's not God a little bit more good than me. He's not good like a God like a little bit more holy than me. He's like way up there. And when I see that he's way up there, what I realize very quickly is I'm way down here. And I should not be here. See, the reality of it is when we see God clearly, we see us clearly in reflection to that, and we see the gulf, the span, we see the difference. And in this moment, he sees that difference. Oh my gosh, I'm nowhere near him, and he should stomp me out right now. He should kill me. I'm such a sinner. I'm such a bad person. I'm such a wretch. I'm such a worm. I'm not just kind of on the ground. I'm under the ground, and dirt is covering me. I should be dead right now. This is the moment he was probably looking over his shoulder like, where is that door? I need to get out of here before he sees that I'm in here. And he says, here's why. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Some of you hear that and you're like, that doesn't sound too bad. I've done worse than that. Um, but even that, right? If that was it, there's more. He could give you the list, I'm pretty sure. But there, even if it, that's the only one. Oh, yeah, I said that thing I shouldn't have that one time. Still dead. Oh, yeah, I, I, I said some words that I shouldn't have said. Still dead. Still shouldn't be here. Even if it was one thing, he is holy. I am not holy, and because of that, I should be dead. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And he says, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, this is where we like the, the part of the story, right? Like, oh, God is great, and I'm kind of a sinner, but there are all kinds of sinners around me. That's not what's happening in this moment. He's not, God, I know you could kill me, but if you want to, there's more people outside you could kill, and they're worse than me. That's not the thing here. It's not condemnation in this moment that's coming from the heart of Isaiah. It's concern. See, the reality of it is when we see God and we see us, we not only become concerned about our sins, we become concerned about the sins of others. Not condemning about the sins of others. The church has got that wrong. We want to hold up signs, God hates, God hates, God hates. That's not true. God doesn't hate anything. He, he hates sin, but he loves everybody. Right? And he's already destroyed sin, and Jesus has already took all the wrath for sin. So God's standing there with forgiveness on the sign in his hand, and the church ought to get behind that, right? It's concern that flows from a heart that sees God, not condemnation. And it says in this moment, Isaiah thinks, oh my gosh, I am dead. I should be dead. I've seen God, and he's amazing, but I've seen him. And all those people out there, they're not in here with me. They don't see this. They don't know that this is him. Like, yeah, they've heard stories and they've read the Bible and they've memorized some of it and, and they know, they know, they know, but they don't know. But I have seen, right? I have seen and I need them to see. He even says that right in the next few words. He's like, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he says, here's why all this is coming out because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen him, but they haven't. You know why the world acts like the world does? They haven't seen him. Well, what do you expect sinners to act like, right? Dogs act like dogs, right? Ducks act like ducks. Sinners act like sinners. The church should act like the church, but we kind of prefer other things a lot of times. Let's put that little thought in the head there. Probably a reason. But he says, I've seen him. 
and his thought behind that is they need to see him. This is in that moment in 6, one of the seraphim, these burning ones, flew to him. This is the moment he thinks, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. God shouldn't be here. I knew I shouldn't have been here. I should have left when God didn't notice me here. Now the angels have spotted me, and I'm dead. And he's thinking, it's over for me, right? One of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal. He's like, this is going to burn me. He's going to kill me. He's going to destroy me. He's gonna, I'm, I'm done. It's going to be horrible. And he had taken this from the altar with tongs. The angel here didn't even think he was worthy to touch this place as sacrifice. But I love in this, in this work, we can kind of start to see the heart of God in this moment. We have here the altar, a place of sacrifice, and we have a coal or fire, a sign of purification, right? Purification and sacrifice, those two things always come together. Fast forward to the New Testament, what happened? Jesus came to purify. How did he do that? Through a sacrifice. Here, even in Isaiah 6, we have a picture of God's plan. It's always been the same plan. And he flew over to him, and it says he touched his mouth with it. It's painful to be purified, by the way. Some of you want to whine about sanctification. It hurts. It's always been supposed to hurt. Stop whining. Oh, I can't believe God did that to me. I can't believe you took that away from me. We'll be dirty all the time then. Never change. Never be different. Either stop whining and go through the process and quit saying, oh, it's so hard. Yes, it is. It's always been meant to be hard. Fire hurts, right? We're being purified. Jesus died on the cross. His was a little worse than ours. Get over yourself. And it says he touched him with this coal on his mouth and he said now that this has touched your lips listen to this the heart of God your wickedness is removed it's gone it's destroyed it's crushed it's out of the way I've taken your wickedness out of the way what was the thing that he thought separated from God just a minute ago I'm a man of unclean lips I'm a man of unclean lips I can't approach God I can't be near God because of my lips and he says okay I'll take care of that now you can be near God right I've taken your wickedness out of the way that's what Jesus came to do to take the wickedness out of the way. What does God do in Genesis chapter 3? I'm naked and ashamed. I can't come near God. They're out, they hide because they're naked, not because they ate from the tree. I can't be here, so they make clothes and they go get behind a tree because God can't see me naked. God talks about sin. He talks about how he's going to crush the serpent. And then what's he do? He, he kills an animal, a sacrifice, right? And then he makes clothes to cover up the thing that they thought separated them from God. God's always taken care of the issue so we can come close. Even since Genesis 3, we created the issue in Genesis 3, took care of the issue in Genesis 3. The whole Bible is about come close, come close, come close, come close. He's always removing obstacles so we can come close. It looks like we would get that, but we don't get that. And it says, your wickedness has been removed. But then look at this. It says, your sin is atoned for amen i don't know if you know what atone means but let's just amen that on the front end because on the back end we're going to know atoned is a word that you can just break down into three parts at one mint atonement at one mint and it's the idea of being at one God created us to be in union with him, in relationship with him, and we destroyed that with sin. So God came in the way, and he took, out, he took wickedness out of the way, and he purified us with a sacrifice. Why? So we could be at one again. It's the same word as reconciliation, to bring back into friendship or agreement. A moment ago, oh man, I'm going to die. I can't be near God. I'm going to die. I can't be here. I'm going to die. And instead of crushing him, oh yeah, you're right. You're wicked. You're a sinner. I don't want you. You're disgusting. Instead of that, he removed the problem, sin, through purification and sacrifice, so what? So he could be close again. God doesn't save us so we won't have to go to hell. Amen. It's a great benefit, not the reason. God saves us so we can be at one. 
so we can be in relationship with him. He doesn't save us so we can come to church. That's a good part, and it helps, but it's not the whole of the picture, right? You can't do it on your own. That's all we have, a community. I just want you to know that, but I will put on the back end of that, that's not the goal of salvation. God didn't save you so you could change the radio station in your car or put a little bumper sticker on there, Jesus is my co-pilot, also horrible, by the way. Um, He didn't do any of that stuff so that you could do some of that superficial Christian stuff that you feel like you have to do. He saved you so you could be at one, you could have a relationship. Going to church will help that. It is not that. Amen? 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 The idea has always been to bring us back in. And at this moment, we see this picture of what Jesus does now in the New Testament through his sacrifice. The very heart of God, that people would be close. How does Isaiah know the heart of God is that people would be close? It's because he just experienced it. I'm a sinner who has seen God, and I should be dead, but through the mercy of God, I'm not. I have been saved. But the heart of God is not that one sinner would come, but that all sinners would come. What will we just talk about? That concern. I've seen God and they haven't seen God. I've seen God and they haven't seen God. I've seen him and they don't know. I've not seen God brings a self-righteous Christian. I go to church. I do the things. They don't do that. They're horrible. I've seen God brings concern. I was dead, but for the grace of God, and they are too, and they've got to see it. And in this moment, he knows firsthand the heart of God, and knowing firsthand the heart of God does something to our heart. We can't know the heart of God and choose to not participate. And it says, in that moment, God speaks. And he says, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send? Who will go for us? This is what he hears, right? I read it over again. I don't remember anywhere up until this moment actually hearing the voice of God. But at the moment he knows the heart of God, he hears the voice of God. And the voice of God is saying this thing. I don't even know who he's talking to. You you can make an argument. Maybe he's talking to the angels. I think it's the Trinity here talking. And he said, who am I going to send? One God, right? Who will go for us? Trinity. Who's going to carry our message is what he's saying. Could you get this scene? There's like God and and Bob and Billy, right? It's the angels. Um, They're not going to go. And here in the temple is Isaiah. God, some angels, and Isaiah. And God looks around the room, right? I don't see anybody over there. Nobody's over there. Oh. Oh. Hey, Isaiah. So I was just thinking, who am I going to send? Who will go for us, right? Who am I going to send? Who will go for us? Isaiah isn't the only guy in the room. (laughs) But I love this because you know what God doesn't say? Isaiah, you better do it. I'm not going to love you. 
You better do it or I'm going to leave you. You better do it or I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You better do it. This is your duty. I just saved you. I obligated you in that moment to do everything that I said. He didn't say that, but he asked him a question, didn't he? See, God's not a God of obligation, really. He's more of a God of opportunity. He didn't come to say to him, oh, you have to do this. I've got you trapped now. You don't want to go to hell. You better follow every word that I say. You better do all the things. You better check the list because if not, I'm going to love you and I'm going to leave you. That, that's what people do. That's not what God does. But God will walk in the room and he says, okay, now that you've seen me and now that I've saved you and now that you are aware of the heart of God, I have a question for you. I have an opportunity for you. I need somebody to go. Who's going to do it? And he didn't say it in a room full of people. He said it in the moment that we saw him, right? I'm not letting you leave and come back and bring people with you right now. That's not the deal. I'm going to just ask you up front when it's only me and you, uh, do you want to go? See, the reality of it is if you walk around, I have to go to church. I have to sing the songs. I have to change the radio station. I have to. You've missed the heart of God. God did not come to obligate you. He came to give you opportunity. Oh, I've got to serve. No, you don't. Fetch your mentality. Don't serve. You're not helping us. Oh, I've got to blah, 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 blah. No, you don't. And if that's your mentality, don't do it, right? Oh, I've got to come to church. No, you don't. You're not helping us by showing up. If your heart's not at church, don't be here. It's for you. It's not for us. So God walks in the room and he says, um, I've got an opportunity for you. Who's, who's going to go? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah said, right, on his own, not compelled, not with the angel twisting his arm, like, you better do this. That's not the deal here. He says, well, I'm here. Well, what about me? Remember me? I'm Isaiah. Um, you, I, I've not been here long, actually. I just walked in. You were here, and I didn't expect that. But then I saw you, and it was amazing, and it changed me. And, and I thought I was going to die, but then you offered me salvation and grace and forgiveness. And I, I've seen it now. I've seen it. And I know, God, that's your heart for all your people. And, and, and I can go. I'll, I will do it. I will go. Can I go? What about me? Do I have to go to school first? No? Okay. I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. If, if that's the opportunity, if that's the invitation, and I've seen you, and that changed everything in me. When I saw you, I knew they needed to see you. So I've seen you. I can go out there, and I can get them, and I can bring them right back to you. Uh, how about me? I'll go. Here I am. Send me, God. Here I am. I don't see anybody else. There's maybe, maybe somebody more qualified, but I'm here, right? So here I am. Send me. Maybe somebody with more talents than me, but I don't see them. So, I mean, I'm here. I'm Isaiah, and you saved me. I'll go. Here, here I am. Send me. I love that. I love that. God offers the opportunity, and because he's seen God, because he's seen the heart of God, his thought is, I can do it. I love what he didn't say, though, don't you? What, what actually, before, before we get into this, um, I'm going to need to know where are you sending me? because that depends on the answer, right? Like, if it's something I'm comfortable with, I will do it. If something I'm not comfortable with, just uh, there's nobody else here, but surely somebody else will come in here. Maybe somebody else. You just, you find somebody else 
they'll go. Or um, uh, how much time does it require? Because really, like, if it requires a whole lot of time, like, I'm just, I'm just not going to have time for that. Um, but, I mean, if it's, like, between this box and this box, you can have that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm a generous person. Um, but, but if it's one of these other things, like, you, you can't have that. See, we try to come into this with, like, some kind of contract with God, like, oh, I'll do it as long as I'm comfortable with it. Or, oh, I'll do it as long as it doesn't take too much time. Or, oh, I'll do it as, as, long, as, as long as you meet this thing. If you bless me, I'll do it. But when you quit blessing me, I'm going to quit doing it. Oh, I'll do it if you give me a big platform and people clap for me when I'm done. Or, oh, I'll do it if, if, if you build it and bless it. But, I mean, if it's one person week after week after week, I'm, I'm not going to do that because that's, that's a waste of my time. That, that's not the deal, though, is it? See, God didn't come to offer us opportunity with kind of like a list of, I'll meet these things if you do this thing. The opportunity is, you've seen me, you know me, I've saved you, and you can. Man, I would hate to walk up to heaven and God be like, dude, look at all this stuff that I had for you, but you wouldn't do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Oh, I just didn't have time. Oh, that's true, sweetie. I looked at your schedule and you just didn't have time, but man, it'd been great if you would have had time, right? Man, I'd hate to say that to him. That's bogus, and if you think it works for people around here, but, like, it doesn't work, does it? Like in heaven? Oh, no, I didn't have time for that. God's going to be real sympathetic to that, right? Or, man, I just I wasn't gifted in that way. Well, what, I wouldn't have called you to do it if you weren't gifted in that way. I don't think that excuse is going to really work there, is it? Oh, I just, now look what I had for you. Oh, it's cool, Jesus, but you, you didn't gift me with, I just, I wasn't, I just, I didn't have those abilities, so I just didn't do it. And he's, oh, that's true. I just, I should have, I should have thought about that. I should have gave you that gift. That would have been, that would have been great. Doesn't it sound silly when you put it that way? But, like, what do we do? I don't have time. Yeah, it's bogus. Bull. I just want to be honest with you about it. Like it's not, it's not a good excuse, is it? And you're going to have to stand before God one day and say, "I never served because I just didn't have time." You can tell me that all you want to, but you're going to have to tell Him that. Or oh, I just I never did that because I wasn't comfortable with it. You're going to have to tell Him that. When I, I never I never did that because. Uh, I just, um, I wasn't gifted in that way. You're, you're going to have to tell him that. It's easier when you got to tell me, isn't it? But this is what God says. Here, here's the opportunity. Here, here's, here's the thing. Here's what you can do. Here, here's the opportunity. Who am I going to send? Who's going to go for us? And the only real response to a person that's seen it and been saved is, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Here's the reality. If God calls you to do it, he will make a way for you to do it. God don't call people to lead worship that he's not going to give the ability to lead worship. That's how that works. You might call you to lead worship and be a failure at it, but he's not going to call you to do that, right? He he doesn't call people to to teach that that he's not going to use. That's how that works. You might call you to teach and be a failure at it, but he doesn't call people to teach that he's not willing to use. Right? And one person may show up week after week after week after week, and that may be it, but that's not really a good reason to quit, is it? Because that one person may be going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with God, and then one day, boom, they might bring 14,000 people. Or God may change their life, and they may be the next big evangelist. And, and that wasn't your gig, right? You weren't called to be the next big evangelist. You were called to teach that one person week after week after week after week faithfully because they showed up. Which which part is greater? Oh yeah, they're the evangelists, but they everything they know come through you from God. 
It's a pretty good gig. So he says, here I am, send me, I'll go, I will do it. And God says, okay, okay. Uh, and he replies, you can go. But look at what God says. Go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Whoa, that's not the message I want to take. Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the mind of these people. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, and turn back and be healed. This is what God says. This is the message he gives him to give to the people. I I almost, right, like I I had a little spiritual battle in me. I don't know if I want to read that part because immediately we're going to jump to is, oh, God doesn't love everybody. Why would God give the people that message? Because we want to look at that and we're like, well, God's proclaiming that over the people. You can't hear, you can't see. That's not what he's saying at all, is it? This is not prophecy. This is a message. And what God's really saying in this moment is, hey, If you would turn back, I would heal you. If you would turn back, I would save you, just like Isaiah. If you would turn back, I would change your life, but you won't. Oh, that's harsh. You can't say that. It's right there. And God said it. I say some harsh things, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I should say that, but it's from the freedom of God, so it's just whatever it is. It doesn't matter. And this is the message, right? You're not going to hear, and you're not going to see, and you're not going to accept it, and, and, and that's fine. But if you would, I would heal you. That's the message. Sign me up, right? Oh, I love that message. I, I want to carry that message. See, God doesn't just sign him up and say, okay, you volunteered, here's the stuff. He, he still gives him the choice, right? Oh, you can go, but I just want you to know, before you leave this place, here's the message. God will heal you, but none of you guys are going to turn. In the message, Isaiah knows immediately, I'm not going to be successful. Not at least in the way that we view success. I'm not going to be the pastor of a mega church, right? I'm not going to be surrounded by thousands and thousands of people just listening to every word, falling on the word of God as I speak. That's not, the, that's not in the cards for him, according to that message. And God was real with him about it. Oh, you can go, but if you go, I just want you to know, the way you're thinking of success, it's not going to happen. But see, the reality of it is, success is not in the response right? It's in the obedience. Success isn't, oh man, look at all these people. Because I know megachurch is filled with people that I wonder about what's going on because I hear the messages. I've never heard you preach Jesus. Well, then they're probably all lost. You preach prosperity and people will come. That's how that works. You preach Jesus and it's a little more iffy. But see, success isn't in the response, it's in the obedience. You can go out and tell people about Jesus every day for the rest of your life, and maybe nobody comes, but when you get to heaven, you know what you're going to hear? Well done. Because you did your part, right? Can you save people? Can you intellectually win an argument that leads somebody to heaven? No. 
because it's not an intellectual process, right? It's a spiritual process. God opens up the eyes and the ears of the hearer, and then the hearer comes to the knowledge. It's nothing you do. So what if every ear you ever tell is closed? Who's that on? It's on God, isn't it? Because he just told you to go and carry the message. And he never promised it would be a successful message. Look at the New Testament, right? Some it's going to be a fragrance of life. Some it's going to be a fragrance of death. It just works out that way. It's just whatever happens. But it doesn't negate our responsibility or our obligation to do it because people that have seen are people that say. I've seen it and I've been saved by it and now I have to share. And then he says, um, okay, I'll, I'll do it, but until when, Lord? That sounds horrible. How long do I have to do that? When's it going to change, right? When's, when's it going to flip from they're not listening to they listen? That's what I want to know before we go into this. When is it all going to change? And here's what he says. Here's how long you're going to do it. Until the cities lie in ruins. You're going to do it until there's no more cities. Without inhabitants. Houses are without people. You're going to do it till there's no more people to share the message with. And the land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. You're going to do it until there's nobody else to tell, is what he's saying. You know how long you're going to be unsuccessful at sharing this message? Until the people are gone. There's never going to be a big crowd. There's never going to be an auditorium full of people. There's never going to be a megachurch. That is what he tells him. But listen to the end of it, right? Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, which leaves a stump when failed. The holy seed is the stump. You're going you're gonna to do this forever. And I want you to know most of the people are going to reject it. Most of the people are never going to hear it. But I want you just to kind of know also that some people will. The majority, no, they're not going to listen. The majority, no, they're not going to be saved. The majority, no, they're not going to come back. They're not going to repent. They're not going to turn. But I want you to know about 10% of them will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the land and I'm going to cast the people out. But I want you to know there will be some people, this holy seed, there will be some people that are affected by what you say. There will be some people that hear and their lives are changed by what you say. But for that to happen, you can't tell, right? We didn't paint those people blue. You can't just go out and see the targets. You got to tell everybody so that some will receive. So success, no, in the way you view success, you're not going to be successful in the way you view success. Everybody you tell is not going to intellectually come to the knowledge of Jesus. But I just want you to know, obedience is the mark of success, not the product. Obedience is the mark of success. And here's what I've said. I have said, hey, guess what? You can go tell. You know, you've seen it, I've saved you, and you're leaving here, right? You're getting up out of here, and as you go, right, you, you can go and you can share this message. And most people are going to be like, you're nuts. Go, go tell it to people at work tomorrow and see. Just take a little tally, right? 
Mm, yep, rejected, 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 rejected. But maybe, just maybe, one of them says, I'll take that. You mean to tell me Jesus, the Son of God, God's Son, stepped down here and you lived a perfect life? Mine's jacked up. Lived a perfect life in my place, and at the end of that life, he died for my sins, my wrongdoings, the things that I did wrong. You, you mean to tell me that God would do something like that so that he could forgive me and so he could bring me close so that I could be with him and not be in this? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Man, isn't it worth, like, just wandering around and, and telling people if that happens one time? No, maybe not. That was not the response that we should have given right there. Isn't it worth walking around and telling everybody if only one comes? Now, I'm not telling us this this morning, church, because... I'm trying to obligate you to anything because God is not an obligator. I'm just telling you this morning, there is opportunity. That God could use you in a way, right? They're not still writing the Bible, but there are still characters in the story of God. And the story is about Him. But we can be in the story. And I'm just saying that maybe in somebody's story of God, God's given you the opportunity to be a character that's a little noteworthy. Right? All the praise goes to him. I cannot believe he let me see him. I cannot believe he saved me. But then on top of that, I cannot believe he used me. I cannot believe that he let my lips be the one that carried the story of God. I cannot believe that he let my feet be the one that walked into that room and shared the story of God. He gave me the opportunity to be part of his plan. That's the picture here. Not, oh, you got to, or oh, you have to, but oh, you can. And here's the thing, church. If you know him, if you've seen him, right? If you've seen him, they haven't. Amen. You're like, oh, I live in the Bible Belt. 80% of the people in Knoxville do not go to church on a regular basis. It's a survey. That means, let me just throw this out there. Some people checked, oh, yeah, I go to church, and they came on Easter one time. It's less than 80% of the, or it's more than 80% that don't come, right? You live in the Bible Belt, and more than 80% of the people never walk into the house of God. Why do you think that is? Because 80% of the people have no relationship with God. And you know him, and you've seen him, and he saved you, but you somehow somebody has talked you into shutting your mouth about it. You can't do it because you're not smart enough. When did Isaiah go to school? Isaiah just walked into the temple. He hadn't even left the first time yet, and God's already saying, why don't you go tell people? You know why? Because you don't have to learn this before you can tell people. You have to know what happened to you. I was dead, right? My life was falling apart. My marriage was falling apart. My blank, 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 blank was falling apart. But God stepped in and he changed everything. There's a world full of people that need that. See, the reality of the scripture is without God, everybody's dead. And everybody's going to hell and everybody's going to be separated forever. But we are a group of people that meet every week and say, we know him. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've, we've met with him. He has saved us. And we go out there and we never tell anybody. At the end, what are we going to say? 
We're going to stand before God one day. And what are we going to say? Oh, yeah, we let 80% of our city die and go to hell. Why did you do that? We were scared. Oh, that's great. Sorry, brother. I, I meant to make it easier. We were worried they would reject us. They can't reject you because you can't save anybody. God's not here to obligate us. He's here to give us an opportunity. People, headlines in the newspaper, right? Churches failing. People of God fleeing. Church shrinking. Well, it is. And it's not the music's fault. We could sing music from 3,000 years ago. And it wouldn't make a difference. It's not the preacher's fault. We could hire any mega preacher to come into the same building and to do the same thing every week. And it wouldn't get more people in here. Well, it wouldn't get more lost people in here. Let's put it that way. The measure of a church is not how many saved people you can steal from other churches and accumulate a building. So whose fault is it? It's our fault. Because I've seen and I've been saved and then I've shut up. That was never the plan. So this morning, I feel like God's saying the same thing, right? Who, who, is, who are we going to send? Who will go for us? Who, who today will say, yeah, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to start that conversation. Maybe the conversation is, hey, I don't mean to be creepy, but let me ask you a question. Some humor in that, right? Good icebreaker. Do it at the Walmart parking lot. Give them something instead of asking for something, right? They're expecting when you walk up, hey, can I have $5? Give them, hey, I have the words of life. And they may walk away. They really might. But that's not up to you. And it doesn't change, right? doesn't change the opportunity. So if God's saying to us this morning, who am I going to send? Who will go for us? We have the opportunity to answer. Let's pray.